This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Now I'm going to ask you to exercise something that you don't normally uh, exercise. It may cause you to stretch a little bit this muscle. I'm going to ask you to exercise your imagination. Um, This will be for us an important as we head into a different kind of series. Because of the amount of verses that we're going through, you're going to have to allow me to tell the narrative, and you're going to have to do what you can to enter in through your imagination into the narrative of this Exodus story. The Exodus is basically the pinnacle or the gospel proclamation of the people of Israel. They continue to go back to the Exodus story as their deliverance. And so what we need to see is the importance of this in its biblical narrative. But because of how fast we're going through it, I I need you to kind of let me just tell parts of the story, and then I'm going to put on the screen different verses to highlight what we're going through, okay? First would be this. I want you to imagine, if you need to close your eyes to do this, what it would look like to live in a land all of your life. I want you to remember that the children of Israel have been there for hundreds of years at this point. This is not the Egyptian land at this point. This is their land. This is not their home. This is our home. This is the Israelites' home. They've had tons of kids here. At least that's what Scripture said. They've multiplied. They have jobs. They have been integral in the deliverance of this nation as they were going through pain and poverty and famine. God used the children of Israel to bring about the deliverance of the Egyptian people. They built this country. They built the nation. They built the city. They were a part of the story. Hundreds of years, but the Bible says there arose a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. But could it be that it wasn't just a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph? Could it be that the Israelites forgot Joseph? And now Egypt was not just a land that they were in, but it was their home. Could you imagine being in that kind of place... And all of the sudden, slowly but surely, laws begin to be passed that are mandating that you would be treated differently than you have been for hundreds of years. Could you imagine being in a land where you had built it, you have raised your families there, and then all of the sudden, a new narrative is rising up that you're not a part of the country, you're an enemy of the country. This is not your home, you're an illegal. You're not a part. So let's make work harder for them. Matter of fact, that's not enough. Let's try to manipulate a way where they kill their firstborn child. Wait, that's not enough. Let's make laws that mandate post-birth abortion. 
Let's put lawgivers or taskmasters in place who will abuse, beat, and kill whenever they want to. Anybody who will not submit and double down on the work. Children are being ripped away from their families. All under the name of protection of their country. Now imagine, if you will, you being an Egyptian. You've lived in a land, and all of a sudden you forgot the narrative and the history of your country. You forgot the integral parts of that country, and then all of a sudden you start to hear a new story. You start hearing, look how many of them there are. Look at how fast they're multiplying. They're going to turn to our enemies and come against us. Our land is being overran by Israelites. And all of a sudden, they start being labeled as illegal. Particularly the boys. You should be scared of them. And laws are being passed And in order to be a law-abiding citizen to protect your country, you have to start treating them differently. They are and were nationalists. We need to keep our power and we need to keep our country pure. This is our land and they are on it. Fear starts to rise in your heart. You started looking people who used to be your friends, and now you start thinking of them differently. Oh, maybe you didn't want to use your imagination. There's one thing that I just want to make you aware of, especially if this is your first time with us. I I was raised in kind of a prophetic church and I saw people getting kind of prophetic words all the time and I I rarely ever got them. Matter of fact, I'd get frustrated at God because I'm like, why did they keep getting all, the same person kept getting all the prophetic words. Like they just got one last week. Why are they getting one again? I've been sitting here for years, can't get a prophetic word. I, I, I get one and all of them have sound pretty much the same and they all speak of a gift that I have to irritate people. I will tell you this over and over again. That word has been spoken over my life that there is a prophetic irritation that God has given to me, not only in my own heart, but also for the church. And and some preachers can get up here and preach and y'all shout. But whenever I preach, you just get irritated. And I hear you. (laughs) But know this. I've gotten used to it after all of these years. I know a sermon like this will irritate you. But let's go. Chapter 2 opens up with a mom and a dad, an Israelite. Why would you say is it important to call them Israelites? The importance of them being called Hebrews is because over and over again in this book, it it notices their race. Why? Because they're being treated in a certain way based upon their background, their ethnicity, 
and who they are. Two Hebrews, mom and a dad, born, this is their home, this is their life, they're having a son in this culture where they know that there is a law, if it's a boy, kill it. But as you read the story, you see this mom and dad do something. And I want you to look at the beginning of Exodus chapter 2. It says they see their son is beautiful. And I want you to highlight, because you're going to see me highlighting this throughout the whole thing. They saw their son. They knew that when this baby came out, and they saw their son was beautiful and special and unique and created in the image and likeness of God, in order for them to keep their son, they had to break the laws of their nation. They had to. And many of us struggle with that reality because we are convinced our role as Christians is to be law-abiding citizens. We take one verse out of Peter. And make it our theme verse. Except all throughout scriptures, the people of God have been put in situations where they're told to bow and they don't bow. They're told to treat people a certain way and they don't treat people a certain way. They're constantly alienated, outcast, and we as law-abiding citizens make it our highest honor to be known as great nationalists. Fitting in with the rest of the country, and we don't know what it looks like to live by something Scripture calls faith. Notice what Scripture calls this mom and dad. By faith. Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. They saw the child, and they lived by faith, and they broke the law. Not in fear of punishment. I know. That's what Scripture calls it, faith. I will tell you this. Many of us will struggle to live by faith if we continue to try to live by the law. Matter of fact, walking by faith and living in the Spirit, Scripture says, is not living by the law. The, the, the Hebrew law, the kinds of laws of punishment, and this trying to earn your way up and living by the law. And we will struggle to live by faith if we wonder what faith is and we end up running into a place where our faith is tested. We won't know what to do. There are times, I'm not saying all the time, some of you are like, I love breaking laws, so this is a great message for me. <laughs> there are times that walking by faith means breaking the laws of the land. And being in a dangerous spot. So you know what they did? They hid the baby for three months. And then they did something that is incredibly interesting. They built an ark. You're supposed to be thinking of Genesis 
the ark being built. You're seeing a lot of narrative. They built an ark and they put him out into the waters. I wish I could preach this, but oftentimes this is what parenting feels like. You do what you can to protect them, and then you just have to trust them to God. Put them out on the water knowing I've done all that I can. When you think that your children are as a, re a result of your parenting and not a result of grace and the sovereignty of God, you will constantly be living in a place, especially in times where it becomes difficult, where you're measuring yourself by the success of your children. He sends them out, and then they do something. They put the daughter and say, hey, hide over here and just watch what happens. We don't know what's going to happen, but we're trusting God. They're living by faith. They're trusting God. And then there's another character in the story that's going to make it difficult for some of you. This character is not a Hebrew because now the Hebrews are becoming enemies. The Hebrews begin to see the Egyptians as persecutors, oppressors, and they begin to see them as all evil because that is how they have been acting as a nation. But scriptures introduce, introduce another woman. Remember last week we talked about a, woman, a couple of women maidservants who God was using to live out what it meant to live by faith. Now God is going to show us a different kind of woman, and this woman is a woman with power and privilege. It's an Egyptian woman. I know... For those of us who have been oppressed and persecuted, it's hard for us to see God use those with power and privilege. But here's a woman who sees a basket. She's down by the river. And here's what she says. She says to her servant, go and get the basket. And here's what the Bible says. When she opened it up, what is it? She what? She saw the child. And behold, the baby was crying. And she took pity on him and said, this is one of the what? Hebrews children. She knew immediately the tension of what was happening. She knew the laws. Her dad was making them. She knew the narrative. Her dad was telling them. She knew the cost. But then she says, hey, to her servant, we're going to take care of this kid. And then the sister who was hiding in the bushes comes running over and goes, hey, do you need me to find somebody to nurse the, the baby? Yes, and I'll pay them. Runs back, gets the mom. The mom takes her own baby and now gets paid to nurse the baby under the protection of the Egyptian government. Mm. <laughs> making money off nursing her baby, raising her, raising Moses as an Egyptian, teaching him this, I mean, teach, raising Moses as an Israelite, teaching him for his first years what it means to be an Israelite. He knew deeply what it meant to be an Israelite, and then what happened was when he turned of age, she brought him into the palace, and he learned what it meant to be an Egyptian. You see, the reality is she saw and she had compassion and God used somebody with power and privilege. And you have to understand this. There are some who, will, who God will use who have power and privilege but also have his heart. Yeah. 
it's important for us to see that God chose to use someone with power and privilege, kind of like the Samaritan, where there was a whole group of people who saw a man broken in pain, and they used their excuse. They were, he was their own race, their own type of person, and they walked by because they were too busy. But a Samaritan stopped and didn't just stop, but used all of their money and resources to show mercy and grace, paid for them, took care of them, and said, I'm coming back, and if there's a bill, I'm taking care of it. This woman had power and privilege, and I know we hate, we use privilege now as the word that is demonized, but the reality is God can use people with privilege and power. They have his heart. They saw. Then we see something else take place. Joseph, I mean Moses, gets in the palace and he's out one day walking around and he sees an Egyptian beating one of his brothers, a Hebrew. He gets angry and wants justice and goes and kills an Egyptian. The next day he goes out and sees two Hebrews fighting each other. And he stops and he goes, hey guys, let's try to work this out. And this is what they say to him. Who made you prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me? The way you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. Here's what you have to see. Moses saw all the injustices. He saw the way his people were retreating. He saw what it meant to have oppression and persecution. He saw what it meant and his life is on the line. And he looks and he goes and takes justice into his own hands and says, I'm going to act as judge. And then the next day when he sees his own people, he acts as judge. But he's softer on his own people than he is on the Egyptian people. And his own people called him out. See, here's the problem with acting as judge. Salvation comes through the hands of grace and mercy, not through the hands of judgment and hate. Salvation comes through the hands of grace and mercy, not through the hands of judgment and hate. And when we try to operate in such a way to take justice into our own hands, what ends up being seen is we've missed the log in our own eye. You see, the hero of this, of this story or this chapter is that compassion and mercy and care are shown in contrast to hatred, injustice, and division. And here is where it is shown. It's shown in Egypt when the Pharaoh is making laws that it shouldn't make, causing hatred and injustice, and people are being persecuted, and division is happening along racial lines. There is all these things. It is shown epically in Egypt, but also it is shown in Moses. When he acts in his own judgment and not in compassion and mercy, when he has been shown compassion and mercy. And it's contrasted with a couple of other stories a Hebrew and an Egyptian and other Gentiles that just happened as he flees the country. 
who operate in grace and mercy. They see him. The next story, we don't have time to go into it. He goes there. He shows grace and mercy, and then they bring him into his family, thinking he's an Egyptian. They treat him with compassion, grace, and mercy, and not with judgment. These stories become contrasting of what it means to operate in a nation that is dark and divided and unjust and filled with hatred. The heroes are not the one who try to take it into their own hands. It's the ones who operate with the heart of God by faith because true judgment cannot come through your own perception, strength, and ability. It's not by might. It is not by power. True judgment only comes by the Spirit, only by faith in the true judge. Am I irritating you yet? Both sides, everybody. Exodus 2, 23-25, saying, During those days the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because their slavery had cried out for help. They groaned. They cried. They were in slavery. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. This was after the king died. God takes too long. He's too patient. We need something done now. He's too patient. Oh, but be patient with me, God. He waited, and then he heard their cries, and the chapter ends with this. God heard their groaning and remembered the covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He heard, he remembered, and what else? He what? He saw. You see, the mother and father saw the child. The Egyptian princess saw the child. The Midianites, they saw Moses. God sees his people. God sees his people. He hears their cry and the only one that can truly judge rightly is him. And operating in faith looks more like this. Now, I want you to hear this. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to know as a son of Pharaoh, refused to be known as a son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated. You're like, am I reading the same story? along with the people of God, rather than enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded the disgrace, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than the treasure of Egypt because he was looking ahead to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing. You're like, wait a minute, didn't it say he was scared? He, pers he persevered. Because he what? He saw him who was invincible. Hebrew recounts this story as Moses operating in faith 
because he could have had all the riches of, e of Egypt. He could have been known as an Egyptian. He could have had all the pleasures of being a prince. He could have had everything that the nation had to offer, but he didn't consider the comforts and pleasures of being known as an Egyptian as a treasure worth being known as one who has faith in Christ. Church, I'm going to tell you this. The only way you can walk through the darkness of days is by faith. One of the things that I think is one of the greatest enemy's tactics is to take important words of Scripture and make them meaningless in church. Because of how much we say it and how much we encourage it. I have people, I've gone through horrible dark days and people are just, you need to have more faith. You just need to have more faith. Have more faith, brother. Have more faith. And I'm like, if somebody else tells me that, I'm literally going to get violent. I'm going to lay hands on them suddenly. I started doing this. When somebody says, you need to have more faith, I, I go, what do you mean? What does faith mean? I don't know. You just need to have it. I would, I would be convinced that if I asked 100 of you in here what faith is, I'd get 100 different answers. I think the enemy has taken one of the most purest words on faith and turned it into something else. We have turned it into us having another work. We're saved by faith, not by works, but we've made faith another work. Something we've got to work harder to have. Have more faith. Work, work, work. Be more faith. Have more faith. Get more faith. Work at it. Work at it. Work at it. Faith is not a work, lest you should boast. Blab it. Grab it. Name it. Claim it. Get it. It's yours. Grab it. Name it. Say it. Have faith. Faith comes by hearing, not by speaking. Faith comes by hearing. And he I just quoted scripture. I didn't make that up. Right? That wasn't that profound, church. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. Could it be that the reason our faith has diminished and we are weak in our faith is because we're talking too much and we're not listening? Because here's the reality. We spend more time making statements, saying things, being vocal, raising our voices. We spend more time talking than we want to admit we spend no time tarrying, listening, opening our ears. Because church, faith comes by hearing and if you're going to learn to walk by faith, you can't do it if you're walking by sight. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We walk by faith and not by sight. And so what does it mean to have faith in God? What does it mean to walk by 
faith when you're in a world where everything looks contradictory and upside down and backwards and people are telling you different stories and people are operating in different ways. Let's look at the people of faith that Hebrews 11 said as we studied this chapter. Hebrews 11 looked back at them and said, that's the hall of faith. Look at them. You want to operate in faith like they operated in? Here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to learn what it means like David or, or like Moses to see God. He saw God. He heard his voice. He saw him. He was living by this revelation of who God was. He wasn't living by the sight of the things and the pressures of the culture and the world around him. He saw God. What else did he see? He saw people. You cannot say you see God and not see the image bearers of God and your heart break at their pain and their injustices. You can't have a cold heart towards brothers and sisters who are in pain and agony and under suffering. Everyone in this text who saw this baby had compassion on them, mimicking the last verses where God heard and saw his people and his heart broke for them. When you can see the injustices of the world around us and have a cold heart and just stand on your laws, you don't have faith. You're not operating as people of faith when you can look at the pain and suffering and families being ripped apart and the cries of our nation and people around us and all we can do is stand coldly and stoically. That's not faith. The people of God are marked by faith and they're marked by compassion and they're marked by mercy and they're marked by acts of kindness. And we see the injustices, but faith has a heart of compassion, acts in mercy, and refuses to bow in fear to the powers of this world. You want to walk by faith? You're going to live in such a way that the powers of this world will call you weak. God uses the weak things of the world to confound the wise. But we don't want to be known as weak. We want to be known as powerful. We want to be known as having all the answers. We don't want to be known as the ones crying out to our Father and groaning in pain and waiting on Him. We don't want to be known as the one who are crying out in pain and compassion and acting in places of mercy and caring for the lost and the broken. We want to be known as the ones who have success, power, and riches. The things all that Moses had but despised them and laid them down because he wasn't going to give in to the powers of culture, money and power and privilege. He was going to use it in a different way. Faith has a soft heart and outstretched hands and refuses to bow a knee to the powers of this world. Church, you are living in a time where the world needs people of faith. I will tell you this. Right now, you will not get the recognition you so want. But just like Hebrews looking back hundreds of thousands of years earlier, 
And looking at this story, the Bible recounts these people that their whole country overlooked and counted as weak and outsiders. A woman who had power and privilege. The Midianites who led in Moses and looks back and said they acted in dark times like God. They heard his voice. They saw the brokenness of people and their hearts were filled with compassion and they prayed and they groaned. And here's the thing where our hope lies. Those who wait on the Lord. God will judge in ways we never could in our own strength. God is about to raise up a deliverer and in his patience and kindness and care, He's about to raise up Moses and come into Egypt and proclaim, let my people go. Moses couldn't do that in his own strength. What did he have to hear? He had to hear God's voice go. Because he can't move without hearing. He doesn't have power in himself apart from hearing, apart from faith. He needed the voice of God. If you're going to want to know how to navigate through these times, you better learn to listen. And here's, here's who you, you need to slow down on listening to all the other voices who want to tell you what to do and the narratives they want you to believe. Maybe you should spend less time watching the news and on social media and get time in the face of God. Maybe you should bury your head in scripture and ask him that you wouldn't bow a knee to the idols of this culture who are trying to tell you all you need is comfort and money and success. Who cares about people? Get yours. But I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I want to see. I don't want to let my desire for the approval of man to get it to where I can see people saying, good job, Aaron. I want to stand before God and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. You did what I told you to do. Yeah, but it made people uncomfortable. <laughs> they called me names. They said I was this. They said I was that. but I'm going to act in compassion and mercy. I'm going to see the Israelite and I'm going to see the Egyptian and I'm going to see that I can't look on the outward appearance. I've got to look into the heart. I can't believe the narratives of culture and the lies that I can believe from other side. I have to learn to press into what it means to see people, to hear God's voice. I asked the band to sing this song and, and I'll tell you this. This may go a little longer because I think we need to stop for a minute and listen to God. So if you're in a rush and you need to go somewhere, feel free. But for us who are sensing the weight of the call of God, and we know we need to stop for a minute and hear his voice speak to us. We need him. I ask the band to sing this song because it's a call. 
So here's how this time is going to go. I want you to sit there or you can stand or you can worship, but they're going to sing this song over you. And in the middle of the song, I'm going to come up and I'm going to call you to come to the altar, to come and take of communion, to come and drink deeply of the body and blood of Jesus, that you would see that you need to leave all of those things behind. You need to leave all your sin, your weight, your despair, your fear, your riches, your pain, your suffering, all of your success, everything you've counted as worthy in your own eyes. You need to leave it all behind and come to the place where only He can satisfy. But let this song be sung over you, and I'm going to come up in a moment and open up the tables for those who are thirsty. But here's my encouragement as they're singing this song. Close your eyes. Posture yourself in a position of worship and let God begin to speak over you because I believe He's got something to say to you loves speaking to his children. Lord, open our ears. We want to hear you.
taking up justice into your own hands. You see the oppression, you see the pain, you see the struggle, and you said, I'm going to take care of this in my own strength, with my own power. And here's the call for you today. Grace is more powerful than hate. Love is more powerful than hate. I know grace seems weak to you. I know you feel like if you could just exert enough energy and power, you could overcome this injustice. But here's the call. Pray. Listen. Wait. Show compassion. Show grace. And don't bow your knee to the powers of this world. Lay down your striving and come drink from the only one who came in love and laid down his own life and showed us that he took all the judgment and pain and suffering upon himself and absorbed it into his own body so that in him we could find true life. All people, Jew, Greek, slave, free, rich, poor, for some of you, you're pursuing the success and comforts of this world, thinking that if you could just taste of comfort and success, if you could just find an easy sailing life, that's all that God wants for me. And I'm here to tell you, lay it all down. Don't pursue the successes and the riches of this world in opposition knowing and seeing God act in faith and say there's nothing sweeter, there's nothing richer, there's nothing purer, there's nothing more wonderful than the riches of the glorious grace of Jesus. Nothing is more valuable than that. So hear this. The table is open for all nations, all tribes, all tongues, all people all ethnicities, all classes, rich, poor. The table is open for those who have faith in the Son of God, in Jesus, and trust in Him as the one who is truly life and will only bow their knee to Him because not only is He Savior, church, He is Lord. And hear this, He's coming again. And he's coming to make all things new. And he will make it right. So for those of you who are hungry and thirsty for him, the tables are open. Come to the altar. Drink deeply of his body and blood in remembrance of him.
This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.